0: Welcome to the Weird Warriors podcast. On this podcast, we will be focusing on the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. I am Max. I am Rich. And on this episode, we'll be looking at Weird War Tales number 12. But first, we have some retroactive history to get to. Rich, take it away.
1: It wasn't until I listened to episode 5 that I actually had something to put here. It's funny how I ragged on uniform name tapes being in the wrong spots for two different episodes and never noticed that in World War II, they didn't wear name tapes. D'oh! Also... Max called it. We're joking about wondering if anyone letter columns to come was going to call out the fact that the toy jet story was actually a time travel tale. Steve Boudet of Youngstown, Ohio did just that last episode. So, way to call your shot, Mang. And oh, by the way, listening to the edit for issue 11, it's mentioned that the GI from October 30, 1944, Mabowski, was from the 23rd Infantry. That got me curious, me being me, so I checked. The 23rd Infantry Regiment belonged to the 2nd Infantry Division during the war, but the 2nd ID never fought in Italy. They came ashore in Normandy the day after D-Day and did all their fighting in Northwestern Europe.
0: Yeah, and I actually have some to add for retroactive history as well this time around. Last time I said I was going to look up more info on these Corgi Boy toy ads. So Corgi being a company that made small die-cast metal cars that I didn't remember at all, but had a completely insane ad last issue. So I did a little surfing around and it wasn't hard to find several more ads for Corgi and another Corgi boy ad out there on the internet. There's actually a whole Facebook group with fans of Corgi and all that. And and looking at some of these ads, I think I probably had some of these handed down to me as a kid, and I just assumed they were Hot Wheels or Matchboxes or whatever. But importantly, the the highlights I want to call out from these ads. Not only did they make the Batmobile, Corgi made the Bat Boat. You'll see a picture of this thing on the Facebook page in the folder for this episode. But the Batmobile had a hitch that you could tow the bat boat with. I need that. I need need it badly. They did the James Bond Aston Martin 007 car and it had like guns and an ejection seat. I need that. And then I won't read this whole thing, but it'll be up there for you all to enjoy. The, The other Corgi Boy ad is if anything even crazier than the first one. There's like a Hydra in it. There's a Formula One style car battling a Hydra. That's all I'm going to say about that. So there's more, but you'll see it all on the Facebook folder for this episode. Believe me, there was so much more out there that I could have gotten into, but I welcome any and all memories and comments about these toys and any other crazy Corgi Boy ads people can find. So that's our retroactive history. Right now, we're going to take a small podcast promo break. When we get back, we will dive into Weird War Tales number 12.
2: You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. It is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the Vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the D.C. universe. Greg Sanders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician, while also delivering justice throughout North America as a mass crime fighter. Using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing, with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong, many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the Vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play.
0: And we're back. So, we've got Weird War Tales number 12 here, and Rich is going to fill us in on the cover detail. Hey.
1: Art by Michael William Kaluta, I think that's how you say that. The mystery and madness of Weird War Tales. Still for 20 cents. Four German soldiers crouching in a fighting position scream in open-mouthed, bug-eyed terror. On the blasted wall behind them, the viewer sees the shadow of what can only be a demon with sinister claws and huge pointed ears on its head. Date of release is March 1973, on sale January 16th, 1973. Yeah, this is just your standard horror drawing right here. I got no Killjoy was here on this. And you know what, I'm just going to let you do your comments and commendations first, and then I'll just jump in and do my math.
0: Oh, heck yeah. I mean, first of all, I was surprised to find Michael William Kaluta on Weird War Tales. He is kind of a legendary uh, fantasy artist in in the comics field and beyond. So this was very cool to see, to start off with. But as far as specific comments and commendations, that shadow of the creature that you talked about that could only be a demon, that is, it is awesome looking for sure. And to me, it looks very much like the silhouette of Marvel's barren blood, a vampiric enemy of the invaders that Captain America famously beheaded with his shield during the Stern and Burn run on the series, which was also kind of homaged in the recent Falcon and the Winter Soldier MCU miniseries in a way. To me, it looks so much like Baron Blood that this is around the time that character would have been out there, so I wonder. I wonder if there was any kind of coincidence there, given how much it looks like him. But I also think that the utter lack of blurbs or word balloons in the space of the actual image Helps sell the horror of the moment in this case. And up above, I really like the, as you mentioned, the mystery and the madness of before the title. It's a great cover. Normally, I like a lot more noise and cheesiness on my covers, like blurbs and titles. But I think the starkness of this image makes it even better. So I loved it. The
1: the Germans are looking up as if over your shoulder, and the demon is standing behind you. You almost get this itching feeling to check. I mean, the only horror comics I read when I was younger is I got like a couple of these old uh, Dell Gold Key uh, Twilight Zone books in my stash downstairs that belonged to my dad and his brothers. But this this reminds me of them. This has a definite feel to it when you're when you're looking at the cover yeah i agree I, you know just yeah there's the sun about this one that you, 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 you feel
0: it yeah i gotta agree man i'm glad you mentioned the dell covers because those had like that company put out books with some of the best covers in the business they always like invested a ton of money in painted covers and just really artistic looking pieces and here we have a michael william kaluta who is a damn near fine artist working in the comics business and so that similarity once you drew it out it makes perfect sense to me and then i didn't get that feeling of them looking up past you but again reading the script as soon as I saw you bring it up I looked at the cover again and went oh yeah it it does kind of give you a little feeling on the back of your neck (laughs) (laughs) So I totally agree. And when you mentioned those Dell and Gold Key covers, we were talking before the episode, we have plans, people. So it's it's not just the nostalgia talking. Yeah, we're, we're going to Dell country at some point pretty soon. So that gets the cover out of the way. And I think I will take duty on the first part of the actual interior of the issue, which is- a framing The framing sequence. Yes, the return <laughs> of the <a> framing sequence, <laughs> as such as it is. It's art by our, our buddy, Tony DeZuniga. Tony? We have no word on the writer for this piece, but it's just a one-page framing sequence welcoming you to the timeless land of Egypt. Anubis deals merciless justice across the centuries to those that persecute his followers. And it appears that's where we're spending this issue. So it's a montage image of lots of different elements of battles and stuff through, Arras, through history. Eras, eras of
1: combat. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a montage piece. It's one page. We will get into it in our comments and commendations, which I will hand off to Rich. It's, it's a one-page
1: framing sequence. How deep in the weeds do you want to go? I like Tony D's Anubis Onward.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Gee, thanks. So (laughs) three cheers from me anyway, for the return of the framing sequence. And with such a great illustration too, I, I particularly like the mounted skeleton on a skeletal mount in the center of the image and how all the different eras and sides of the conflicts are represented, in my opinion, without crowding things up. It's Tony D. He handles what could be a very busy and cluttered piece with ease. It's one page. But I'll take it. So, one page <laughs> framing sequence out of the way. Rich is going to take us into the issue proper. Go for it. Okay.
1: God of Vengeance. Script by Robert Conniger. Art by Jared Taliak. So, right there, I have high expectations for this for this story. Synopsis 30 centuries ago. Hassup. Wasa. You remember ah. that? You know, you do. <laughs> <laughs> People so of a certain age. And get priestess Dina out of his mind and tries to make her his. She resists, not wanting to be shamed in front of the statue of fox god Anubis. Enraged, Hassup slays her, and with her dying breath, she asks Anubis to avenge her. Hassup mocks Anubis, calling the statue lifeless stone that cannot lift a finger to avenge her. He mounts his chariot and leads his army into battle against the Persians. In the course of the fighting, Hassup finds the enemy commander, Zeno, they fight and eventually Zeno is wounded. He yields and asks Hasop to spare his life, reminding him that the gods will think kindly of him if he does. Hacop won't have it and beheads him, holding the trophy aloft for his men to cheer. The battle won, Hassap leads his army back to the Luxor for a celebration as vultures guide down to feast on the bloody dead. A vision of Zeno's head appears before him, but he dismisses it as a mirage. A sandstorm suddenly kicks up, and although Hacep orders his men to keep together so they don't become scattered, he is soon alone, except for the lingering vision of Zeno's head. Through the blowing sand, Hassip sees the statue of Anubis appear before him, although he knows he is still far away from home. He ridicules Zeno and Anubis and rides his chariot through the illusion, but the blowing sand conceals a ravine and Hassip tumbles into it. When the storm abates, Hassip is buried up to his neck in the sand trapped to be roasted under the blazing sun like meat on a spit. He calls for help, but the only help that arrives is in the form of Anubis's desert foxes. Hassup begs Anubis for mercy. But the last sound Hass appears as the pack of foxes descend upon him is the ghostly laughter of Zeno. So, yeah,
0: that was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no killjoy on that one. Um, And first off, before I get into my comments and commendations, I curse you because the entire time I read this issue, the entire time I went over the script, it never occurred to me about the similarity between Hassup and Waza.
1: I put it in the script,
0: dude. That, I, well, you know when I, I was forget. <laughs> yeah, but when I was going down through it, of course, it hit me when I was but re- I was reading the issue. I was, you know, I, I do my comments first before I read your synopsis. You know, so yeah, I went back and I was reading through to to make sure I was familiar with how you wrote up the synopsis. And I'm like, Ugh. damn him,
1: Damn his eyes. <laughs> damn his eyes. Then that's
0: the only way I could hear his name. <laughs> The rest of the entire time of thinking about the issue. So for my comments and commendations, (laughs) page two, panel three, when the battle is joined between Hassop's army and the Persians, Jerry Taleok is a boss. I I, I freaking love that panel. Put it up on the Facebook folder. It's sick. I love it. And Jerry is active on Facebook, you know, I I just found that out between one episode and the next. He's out there and uh, sharing new art. And it's awesome. And I'll also point out what I saw is a slight discrepancy in the attitude toward the depiction of violence in two scenes. On the first two pages, when Hassup kills Dinah, you never see the fatal blow land, and you never see Dinah actually appear wounded or bleeding. Later, when Hassup does away with Zeno, as you mentioned, he holds the fallen enemy's head high in the air for all to see. Right on, panel! No looking away. So there it is. A <laughs> little bit of a difference in the treatment of violence in the story. But no complaints here, really. It's a good story by Conniger. It's more in his non-supernatural wheelhouse, as all of the weird phenomenon in the story could very well have all just been in Hossup's mind. So I think it's a perfect marriage of Conniger's writing style and teleoc's art. So let us know what you thought, Rich. Thank you. I believe I shall.
1: Fifth page, Telak crushes it, pass up on his chariot, riding towards the statue of Anubis with Dina or Dina, however, we're going to say that, uh, dead at its feet, sand blowing, billowing partially concealing it first couple of times i read the story i missed the illusion of Zeno's head on the back of one of the horses pulling the chariot the more i see his work and he did so much of it in unknown soldier the more of a fan i become this is good
0: stuff yeah he jerry till huge favorite of mine as a kid and who uh, knows he might listen to the show
1: so. yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: i haven't mentioned it over on his facebook page because i didn't want to be like thanks for friending me here's a link to our show immediately you know i'll, I'll let him be Um, He did an amazing uh, mock movie poster for John Wick over there, which I've never seen that movie, but his poster is selling it to me more than anything else that's come before, like his drawing. But anyway, we're going to move on. Seriously, people, he's he's still out there making new artwork. Go check it out. For the purposes of this episode, though, we're going to move on to the second story. I guess this is up to me now, so hold on tight, people. This one is called Hand of Hell. Script by our buddy Robert Coniger, again. Art by our buddy Tony DeZuniga. Again. Again, yes. <laughs> as many times as he wants. So the synopsis is as follows. 3,000 years later, in the presence of a crouched statue of Anubis, Lieutenant Krantz of the Africa Corps confronts two captured American tankers, one of them wounded. He demands that they tell him where the rest of the American tanks are, or they will be taught the meaning of... Now, let's try to pronounce this. Schrecklichkeit. Shrekle... Blah.
1: Good enough, I probably would have done the same thing.
0: Mixelplik. Okay. (laughs) Sergeant Cohen gives name, rank, and serial number only, and Lieutenant Krantz shoots him dead. The wounded GI does the same and is also gunned down. Priestess Dinna, which I don't know, if we say it that way, it sounds like I'm asking what's for dinner. Priestess Dinna warns Krantz that Anubis will avenge her if he slays her in cold blood. That statue is powerless, he replies and fires. At that moment, General Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox, commander of the Africa Corps, arrives and demands to know what happened. Prisoner's shot attempting to escape, Krantz answers. Rommel disapproves, demanding a full report on this senseless killing in the temple of the fox god. Krantz commences sucking up to Rommel and belittling Nubis. He is just a piece of stone, Herr General. Lifeless, impotent, you. Herr General Rommel, the desert fox, are the conqueror of the desert. Rommel ignores him and orders the dead to be buried and their graves marked so they won't vanish as if they did not exist. Krantz grumbles that it's a waste of time, but obeys. Rommel gathers his forces and goes to confront Montgomery, who is massing for an attack. An artillery barrage, the likes of which he'd never seen, opens fire on them, followed by wave upon wave of tanks. The British take heavy casualties, but eventually force the Germans to fall back. As they stream past the statue of Anubis, Krantz's tank is hit and bursts into flame. As the crew bails out, the statue is hit and large pieces of stone come crashing down, crushing Krantz. Even Rommel has to remark, as the retreat continues, how ironic it is that Anubis struck Krantz down in vengeance. And now, mercifully, I'll hand this over to Rich for Killjoy Was Here in a History Minute.
1: I got a whole lot to say here, so I'm just gonna say it all at once. Sergeant Cohen's serial number was 409966. It's more notably Sergeant Rock's serial number. I've seen it used two other times here in Weird War Tales before this issue. Allegedly, it was Connor's own dog tag number. That said, there's only six digits in the World War II Army, there were eight. The first digit for the enlisted was a number, one through four. One, you enlisted in the Army. Two, you enlisted in the National Guard and had been federalized. Three, you've been drafted. Four, you've been drafted later. Sergeant Rock was drafted? Late? He struck me as a, I enlisted on January on December 8th, 1941 sort. The second number says where the serial joined the service from, grouping states into regional sets. One, the six New England states. Two, Delaware, New Jersey, New York. Three, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, etc. Rock's from Pennsylvania, so his second number should be three zero that's there just goes down a complicated, drafted outside the U.S. rabbit hole, but only at the first numbers of three, and then it just gets hyper confusing, and I'm the World War II guy, so I'm just going to stop right here and say 40966, whatever the reason for it, is wrong. Also, Shrek loosely translated as terror or frightfulness, was a World War I term used by English speakers to describe Germany's assumed military policy towards civilians, most notably in Belgium in 1914. So why Krantz is using this word here in World War II against military personnel is beyond me. Also, although it's never said, this has to be the Battle of LLMN, this was a British show, so what American tankers were doing here is another mystery entirely.
0: <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> Some minor problems with the story, <laughs> if you happen to know what you're talking about. So I'll lead off, and I guess, you know, so Rich handled all of his stuff right there, and boy, did he. With my <laughs> comments and commentations, I will say, of course, the art is fantastic in general. The story is great. Especially if you didn't know any of that stuff that Rich was just going on and on about. I mean that as short as I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did, folks, believe me. I've known him a long time. <laughs> I will say that some of the close-ups looked very heavily photo-referenced to the point where it was a bit distracting. Page two, panel five, with the descendant of the original Priestess Dinah, and page four, panel one, with Rommel and maybe even panel four on on that page look heavily photo referenced. Overall, it's a very cool handful of pages and seeing the reappearance of Dinah as again, like I mentioned, her ancestor was a really nice touch. I didn't expect that. I thought it was cool. And as for Tony D and photo referencing, I got a little curious about it, go figure, and did some, for my part, rare research. Check this out from a 2005 interview published in back issue magazine, number 12, From 2013, the interviewer says, there was a lot of realism in your work on Jonah Hex. Did you have to reference old photos and articles to get such graphic realism? And DeZuniga replies, when I was really young, we used to copy a lot of swipes from photographs. What happened was later on, it paid off because I used to light the lighting from my head because I had copied so many photographs when I was younger and practicing how to draw. Everyone thinks that I was copying photographs, maybe now and then, but not all the time we learned how to place the shadows because we had copied photographs and that's why it looks so real. So there you go. I mean, this was a little earlier in his career. I I, maybe, maybe kind of at the same time as some of the Jonah Hex stuff, but Tony did have a habit of doing photo reference when he felt like it. So it was just cool to see that confirmed in an interview. I'm not knocking the guy's style at all because it's not like these look totally light boxed. He definitely applied his style to the photo when he used it as a reference, but it does stand out from some of the other pictures. Like when he's not using a photo reference, it looks like a comic book drawing. And when he's using a photo reference, you can tell. So just thought that was, was worth pointing out and it was cool to see it confirmed in an interview after looking it up. So that brings us to the end of that story. And since Rich loved the first framing sequence so much, I'm going to bring him, to the second one, which is only half as long, and let him tell you about it.
1: it 3,000, it's called 3,000 seconds or 3,000 years. It's just in the first line in the, in the dialogue box. Art by Tony D, writer unknown. It's a half page end of the Egyptian framing sequence. Two skeletons wearing Roman armor lie in the sand under Anubis' gaze as a vulture sits on a helmet and investigates. A sword and a spear jut out of the torso of each one. It's it's a half-page framing sequence, how deep in the weeds you wanna go. That said, I like it better than the full page one earlier. Simpler, a lot less involved, I dig the vulture checking everything out.
0: How deep in the weeds do we want to go? Here's my no half weeds. hour. Here's, here's my no half weeds. hour. It's no, no, no. sand. <laughs> Nothing grows here. <laughs> oh, That's going to uh, grow here. <laughs> <laughs> no, how deep in the weeds? Like, here's my half hour treatise on this half page framing sequence. Now, I liked the opening page better myself, but this, of course, is a fine, fine drawing. I really like the touch of the sun behind the mountains in the background. It's very simple, but it's extremely well executed of course because it's tony d but again it's a half page i'm still happy to see the return of the framing sequence it just feels more weird war to me so it isn't the greatest but i liked seeing it and seeing it with tony d on the art makes me even happier now since I just stumbled my way through one story um, and, and made you do made you do uh, the half-page framing sequence, I'll let you take us to the final interior story here that jumps outside the theme and finishes the issue outside of the traditional closing framing sequence. Go for it.
1: Yeah, yeah throw a little bit of a curveball here. Whenever you see the framing sequence, you assume the whole issue is going to be inside the framing sequence, but... You would be mistaken, for now we go into The Warrior and the Witch Doctors, art by Don Perlin, script by Arnold Drake. Quote, The half-savage painted tribesmen of Britain should have been no match for the troops of Julius Caesar, but they fought like cornered beasts. After merging Victorious from a skirmish near Kiltford, Claudius is ordered to spy on the Picts and Scots and report back on their defenses. Under the light of a full moon, Claudius is ambushed by druid priests and taken prisoner. He is led to Stonehenge, tied to a slab and subjected to their rites. Unable to understand them, he thinks he's about to be sacrificed. When the sun rises, he gets the fantastic sensation of tumbling through a great black funnel in space and emerges at Times Square New York City today. The New Yorkers think he's an actor and Claudius thinks he's on the moon, the honking of car horns, the flashing of lights. Claudius runs down an alley to escape the lunacy and is almost immediately mugged because, you know, this is 1970s New York and that stuff happened all the time. Still unable to understand language, Claudius recognizes the intent just fine and tosses his assailant into, into some trash cans. A cop intervenes and Claudius runs off once more, this time hiding in a movie theater showing Rome against the Druids. He is beyond amazed to see pictures of light that talk, that show Roman legions. He recognizes Kelford on the screen. 10,000 Britons wait to ambush them. It is important. He must warn his general of the pending disaster, but he is a prisoner of Druid magic. But fate chooses that moment to send him spiraling back through time, back to Britain, he wakes to find himself still staked out on the slab at Stonehenge. He breaks loose and gives his report to the general, who brings reinforcements. Alas, there are only three old women at Kelford, and the general is shamed. Claudius convinces Polonius Maximus that the Druids had sent him to the future, where it is believed the Romans slaughtered 10,000 of their foes. So it is agreed to not disappoint the future. A dispatch is sent to Rome, written describing a glorious, Fictitious battle. It has been that way since wars began. Some give their lives in the numbing nightmare of battle and lie unknown beneath its rubble. Others, wielding only a gold pen, become monuments in town squares. For there is no justice on the battlefields of weird war. Dun, ah. dun, dun. So yeah, I got no killjoy was here. Yeah, the the more things change, more things stay the same. Falsifying report to make your victory all the more noteworthy. I thought for sure that was a more recent development. Great touch though. I know I ground my teeth together a bit when I read that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, history does nothing but repeat. For my part, I was very psyched to see the credits on this story because Arnold Drake was the co-creator and and writer of the original Doom Patrol series back in the 60s. And Don Perlin was a longtime artist on The Defenders, a big favorite title of mine. So this story had a lot to live up to for me. And, uh, well, my first impression was it was okay. You know, sure, the twist is truly weird, and it is fun to see the Roman soldier in modern times. But even though I like Perlin quite a bit, his art style is definitely more standard than we've become accustomed to here in the Weird War Tales mag. There are a couple of panels, though, that jumped out at me as being very Ditko esque, like page four, panel three, first part of the time travel and the second to last panel of the story, the falsification of the report, just the way those shots are drawn and framed looked like something out of a Steve Ditko comic to me. And also, I just want to read the entire intro to the story because who boy, old <laughs> comics. Uh, yeah, so here we go. The half-savage painted tribesmen of Britain should have been no match for the troops of Julius Caesar. True, the small, ugly cave dwellers fought like cornered beasts, but it was not their savagery that turned Roman blood to ice water. It was the strange druid rites the savages practiced that drove fear into the hearts of Caesar's legions. Did we say savage enough times? <laughs> like just oof, like yeah, old comics, man, savages, beasts, primitive, <laughs> yeah, just who heathen monkeys, man, <laughs> which is an in joke about an episode of Johnny Quest that. It's edited out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It gets, oh my God. Yeah. We'll explain that later if we have to, but dang, yeah, this was, you know, we're cruising through these, these issues lately and I haven't found too many examples of old comics, man. Then we got to the intro of this story and it was like, oh, have you been missing this? (laughs) Oh, uh,
1: not, not to play spoiler at all, but you me, I I I do a little scripting, you know, an issue two out. And uh, there's something gets dropped in one of the stories the next episode that I'm like, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> you want to talk about something that would not fly today. If a, a certain phrase that got dropped. I'm like, yeah, yeah, tune in next time, folks. We're going there. You'll know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> our, uh, our drought is coming to an end. But I will say, you know, my, my initial impression of the story was like I said, eh, it's okay. But then reading through the script and your synopsis of it, I'm like, this is an extremely weird Arnold Drake story, and if I saw this in filmed version, it would be it would be kind of hilarious, actually. Like the the Roman like going down the alleyway and getting immediately mugged, happening into the theater to see like a filmed representation of the battle he was about to be killed in. You know, like it just it's much weirder when you sum it up. Than when you read it, I think maybe that has to do with the pacing of the pages. But I enjoyed wow, I break it. it down. Yeah, I enjoyed it much more. I went back and read it again after reading the script, and went, "Yeah, that was a better story than my first impression of it." So, if you're reading the issue out there, people, read this one twice, see what you think, and and let me know if I'm right about those Ditko. Panels because it's really nagging at me that Don Perlin was looking at some Ditko art and, and picked up a few tricks or liked the way he framed some stuff. So just my own personal bugaboo, but it will not let me go. But I will let us go on to the letters page, the APO Weird War Tales. Um, even though you're first, or I'm first in the script, I'm going to let you uh, lead off. Just a quick light letter
1: from Larry Bernicke from Maryville, Indiana. Dear Joe, I ne- I'd i never bought Weird War Tales before, but when I saw the cover for number eight, there was no stopping me. I had to pick it up. Bar none, that cover had no equals in this month's releases. Oh, the interior was nice too that cover zowie (laughs) i'm sorry it was the zowie that was just like yeah okay i I gotta read this one just simply for the zowie
0: (laughs) yeah and that's why i wanted you to lead off because i have something a little bit longer to read and it serves as kind of a counterpoint to that let's say unrestrained enthusiasm of that letter this leads off the letters page and it's from a david chamberlain From Portland, Oregon, that hive of scum and villainy. (laughs) There's a few people out there who will bristle at that. Let's see. So the letter starts out. Dear Joe, fine art and scripting represented in the works of DeZuniga, Harper, and Adams, and Robert Coniger have made Weird War Tales number 8 a unique and enjoyable magazine, insulted only by the slap-happy handling of the letters column. Letters stating how neat and good and likable a recent issue was aren't completely bad in themselves. But when that is all these letters consist of, I see little use in filling an entire page with them. You asked for well-written, well-thought-out, constructive letters for printing. But what you've been printing have been little more than sentences and paragraphs from fans stating that Weird War Tales is now their favorite mag. It seems contradictory, doesn't it? With the advent of the Academy of Comic Book Arts and other organizations attempting to promote the graphic novel as an art form, perhaps you could start within the industry, within your own letter columns, and clean it up, if you will. If these be the only types of letters you receive, then I personally would rather see another page of story. As for the stories themselves, they are a credit to the industry. Tony de Zuniga has a flair for war stories and tales of the macabre, and a book the caliber of weird war tales seems to suit Tony fine. Adams's art, too, has a power and style all its own. And of course, Conniger is a master at telling stories of war. Weird War Tales number eight presented an impressive lineup. I only wish the letters page could boast as much. Now, we'll, we'll get into my impression of the letter, but here is Joe Orlando's response to good old David from Portland. Dear David, as they say on television, what you see is what you get. The type of letters you are complaining about are the only type we have received. When we don't, other types will see print as well yours, for example. We asked for intelligent letters, and we meant it. We will not edit them down to a sentence or two, making the writer seem foolish. We will be glad to print lengthy, though not too lengthy, letters, as long as they will be of interest to our readers. As for not printing the shorties, we disagree. There are many different readers who send in letters, and if we get a nice short letter, we will print it next to a longer, more involved missive. Anyway, keep sending in your letters, and hopefully our column will soon begin to change. Remember, This column can only be as good as the letters we get. So yeah, just, I don't like your letters page. I want it to be filled with more thoughtful letters and blah, blah, blah. But what this letter is mostly gonna be is whining about the letters page. And then a bunch of the stuff I was complaining about, absolutely congratulatory, everything is fantastic comments about the contents. So lovely. Just again, fandom never change. Because you never have,
1: and you never will. <laughs>
0: never, ever will. Just uh the entitlement of that. Like I would like to see more elevated letters. And how about you write one then? Because this is a bunch of griping and then a bunch of shallow pats on the back. It's exactly from the Simpsons. Yeah, like just. Ugh. I I just I also want to mention um there's there's something else in this letters column that I thought was worth bringing out here. There was a letter I'll just say quickly that talks about the ghost of Joe Kubert. One guy says, keep up the good work. You have the ghost of Joe Kubert checking you out. And Joe says, what do you mean by ghost? Joe is still healthy and much stronger than me. It's his fist. I may have to watch out for not his spirit. I just thought that was cool. Cause yeah. Yeah. Joe Kubert, man. Like he he ain't gone anywhere just yet it's going to be a while.
1: We're not going to see him again in the pages of Weird War Tales until, what did I say? Like issue like 36 or something like that. So it's going to be a while before we see him back in the covers of the magazine that we are doing this podcast for. But yeah, he's definitely prowling the halls of DC.
0: Yeah. You never know when he might strike. So (laughs) that's the letters page. And as we are wont to do, we will move on to our favorite ads in the issue. Rich, tell them what they've won
1: gigantic book bargain page it's a half
0: page damn you ah back
1: in the days when paperback books were a buck and a quarter for every three you order you get a fourth free don't wait debbie preston teenage reporter in the hollywood mystery Travel with Debbie as she tries to unravel a baffling mystery that threatens to destroy an all-star TV show starring Michael Gray, Donny Osmond, and David Cassidy. Ah, the 70s. The Brady Bunch in The Treasure of Mr. Island. During a vacation on Mr. Island... It's always Mr. Island. The Brady's become involved with the ghosts of 16th century pirates and their hidden treasures which are concealed among the many caves on the island. I am blissfully too young to remember what a huge deal the Brady Bunch was back then, but we've all seen some horrible Brady corn over the years. Check the books you want. For every three you order, check an additional one, and you will receive it absolutely free. On no orders at 50 cents for postage and handling. Outside USA, send an international money order. Send money and coupon to book bargain page, department DC3, drawer L. <laughs> drawer L. <laughs> I wonder what the L stands for. What, what's the matter? You're too cheap for a P.O. box? <laughs> Hollywood, California, 90028. And just out of curiosity, I flip, I turn the page. And yes, I would only be cutting into other advertisements on the back. So yes, I suppose if I wanted to get a book on the Brady Bunch or Debbie Preston, I would at least would not be mutilating a neat story. So, ah, the Brady's.
0: Hey man, I own the entire Brady Bunch series on DVD right here in this house. And I love the whole thing, except for the episode where they go to Disney. That episode sucks. But the Brady Bunch man, like I'm reading this script and I'm like, I need this book. I, I need to read this book. I'm gonna find it somewhere and I'm gonna read this Brady Bunch book. It probably won't even take me that long. But there's.
1: There's 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 four books here: Tour Debbie Preston, uh, Tour Brittany Bunch. The other one is The Britty Bunch in the New York Mystery. It's another mystery. A trip to New York turns dangerous. You know, so it's just like just stay home, nothing will happen.
0: <laughs> hey man, that, that Tiki episode, uh, the Hawaii trip was very popular. So they're just going to copy that formula and keep cranking the presses. So for my ad, under the uh, half-page closing framing sequence that wasn't really closing or framing, we have an ad that reads as follows. For a diet of drama and danger, read DC's Menu. Take one from column A and one from column B. And an hour later, you'll want to read more DC Comics. And then there's a picture of uh, two books that are on sale February 22nd, House of Secrets, and my page is all messed up, but it's a war book with the unknown soldier on the cover. Star Spangled War Stories. Star Spangled War Stories. Yeah, the printing is super muddy on mine. But it, 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 has- was, it was
1: it was back when you know they were still doing unknown soldier and Star Spangled War Stories were still on the cover. They hadn't made the full blown jump to uh, unknown soldier yet. So that's why it's kind of like hey. And when you're trying to really read the half page here.
0: So. Yeah, but it's one of those cool covers with the unknown soldier like taking his bandages off to a horrified person. Like he the unknown soldier's general. back is to you and there's a there's a yeah, there's a general in front of him and he's horrified seeing the bandages come off. But I just thought it was cool that it's a you know, it's a house ad for a horror book and a war book kind of fits the theme of our show but it also feeds into that hey talk about old comics you know like the drought is definitely over because i won't get into the joke they're trying to lean into here but man we are in we are in early 70s let's say yeah mainstream White man writing comics ads territory here, and just something something to call out because we've had so few examples of hoof old comics going on here. But again, a house ad for House of Secrets, Star Spangled War Stories, very cool to see. House of Secrets and House of Mystery, two huge favorite titles of mine. Always happy to see an ad for those. So with the ads out of the way, we're going to move into a segment we used to call final thoughts. And since we like to change the name of things, as we get better ideas, we're going to call it last words, rich, take us away.
1: I got, got any last words. Yeah, we're, we're talking about you know, star spangled war stories and stuff like that between the war that time forgot and unknown soldier that yeah, we're, we're definitely going to be making some dives, you know, into that title. At some point we've done some reprints, uh, Uh, stories from some of the reprints earlier, but yeah, we'll we'll be going into that title again at some point. But yeah, originally I didn't like this book too much, but it grew on me as I worked on the script. You know, Hand of Hell is my favorite story. Uh, Conger treated Rommel with respect. He wasn't a Nazi and was in fact coerced to commit suicide in 1944 to protect his family once he was implicated in the failed bomb plot against Hitler. He wouldn't have seen a day in court at Nuremberg if he had survived the war. So, yeah, this this book grew on me, you know, as as I was working through it. So,
0: yeah, I've had a similar experience with a, with a lot of these stories actually going back. That's that's one of the great things about doing the show is taking some time to really think about these stories rather than just plowing through them while you take a drink down or whatever and you're not really thinking about it so i had the same like the final story with arnold drake and don perlin i had the same same kind of effect i i I really thought it was kind of disappointing at first and then when i went back through it i just liked it more and more so i liked this issue other than that last story quite a bit right from the get-go in particular I enjoyed the return of at least some kind of framing sequence, as I said, wrapped as it was only around the themed connected tales of the issue. And that last story, it wasn't quite as jarring as it probably should have been to have one outside, but I came away really enjoying this issue just really being impressed with the work I thought Coniger was right in his wheelhouse where it was any story he wrote the weird stuff could have been weird or it could have just been coincidence or it could have been all in somebody's mind I think that's where he does his best work if he's going to be over here in Weird War Tales so good issue I dug it now that our last words are wrapped up we're going to move on to the feedback section which Rich has decided very nicely to call the Dead Letter Office now to start off I'd like to say as, as a lot of you may know we've recorded a lot of episodes before we launched so we're kind of ahead of the game so our feedback is going to be about episodes that came out quite some time ago that being said we're going to try to mention everyone who liked or commented or retweeted or shared our, our, our episodes online and who actually sent us feedback and comments to that point I'll mention here because I think I've failed to mention it before. We actually have a Gmail address. If you guys want to send us comments directly, it is Podcast at gmail.com. So fill up that empty inbox, people, and I will read the stuff you send me here on this show as long as it's readable on the air. so it's a well thought out email (laughs) (laughs) oh dear god why didn't i think of that that's what i'm here for that is great you're welcome going all the way back to episode five where we covered appropriately enough weird war tales number five we had likes and shares from peter watson on facebook he of the earth Two podcast and billy and i'm gonna mangle this last name billy tenierce It's T-E-A-N-E-R-S-E. We had, over on Twitter, we had likes and shares and stuff like that from Adriano, which is at Fan Ambry. Ross Michaud, which is at Old School Ross, Luke Jackinetti from the Earth Destruction Directive podcast, which is about giant monster movies and it's so cool. He is at El Jacone. We got Bill, who is at Spy Vinyl, Dr. Ange at Dr. Ange70, who has one of the longest-running and best Supergirl blogs you're ever gonna find on the internet. Uh it's Supergirl comic box commentary if you have any interest in that character at all if you want to learn about her go to Ange. don't go to dc comics and they don't know what she's about Ange does we got our good buddy martin gray at mark gray and he has the too dangerous for a girl blog which is the best and like most dedicated blog covering current dc comics i mean kudos to him for sticking with it <laughs> sticking with that company right now because i'm not doing it chris lyden at chris lyden seven dave's comic heroes blog at dave's comic hero kirk spencer at big five army doc strange at billy d underscore licious now billy d and herman low they do the long box of darkness they do into the weird they do the a world on fire all-star squadron podcast they do magazines and monsters these guys are two of my favorites out there and speaking of favorites we have professor frenzy at professor frenzy he does The Professor Frenzy Show. It's a show. And if you listen to the show, you know what I'm talking about right there. He covers indie comics with his buddy. It's fantastic. We have Coffee and Comics at Coffee Comics Blog or BLG on Twitter. And that's our buddy, Clinton Robison. Chris at BTO and Bat Books. And (laughs) one of my favorite new shows, Right Between the Eyes podcast at RBTE Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to the hottest band in the world, in their own words, kiss and it's freaking great go listen to that now as far as comments again we got martin gray who has a comment on episode five and he says i'm hoping you'll be doing feedback it's always one of my favorite parts of a podcast (laughs) so it's coming (laughs) it's coming i'm trying Uh, people don't make a lot of comments other than martin and peter so hit that gmail address make me do the work and then on our first debut inaugural did I mention first? Road Warriors special, which talked about me and Rich's road trip to Sam Glansman and Joe Sinnott's gravesite with Sam's widow, Sue. We have likes and shares from. People like Leopoldo Garcia, Rob Tim, my mom. Yes, people, my mom liked one of our uh, our shows, the Road Warriors special. And she's she, her mom; she had to. Gosh, ah, that's the <laughs> first time she's done it, man. Like she has the uh, she hasn't liked the show until that one, <laughs> at least not publicly. So, and of course, Peter Watson. And then we're going to Twitter, man. Martin Gray is back. The Days of High Adventure podcast, and that is at D H A. Man, you should have made this easy. Your Clinton at D H A D something pod. You'll find a Days of High Adventure podcast. It's Clinton Robinson. It's a new show where he's covering sword and sorcery comics. It's great. I just want more of it. Comic Conjecture at Comic Conjecture. Who is Scorpio at Who is Scorpio? is a huge Jim Steranko, Nick Fury fan. If you couldn't figure that out, Doc Strange is back. We got Woody's on at Woody's on. Professor Frenzy. Chris Lydon, Luke, Jack, and Nettie. You're seeing a theme here. We got Iowa's Joe Crawford. Now, who I probably messed up when I mentioned his name before, and I've always misheard it. I've always thought people were saying I was Joe, like I'm not anymore. But it's Iowa's. As in Joe Crawford from Iowa. So he's at Iowa's Joe, and his Twitter feed is fantastic. He's an excellent fan of comics. Highly recommended follow. And I'm sorry for screwing up his name. So we got Darren Murphy at Darren Murphy. Now Darren is D-E-R-O-N. Murphy is M-U-R-P-H-R-E-E. Coffee and Comics hits us back again. And then over on Facebook about that episode, we have Mom! <laughs> <laughs> rich's mom (laughs) diane comes by gives us a like my wife gail and my cousin donna and all my friends and family we have the awesome ranger Gord, who does the prairie justice a vigilante podcast about not just some vigilante but the golden age dc comics vigilante the cowboy in modern times fighting crime it's a great show he does tons of voices for it it feels like a radio show and a comic podcast ranger Gord prairie justice get on it we have over in the dc war comics group which we have an account over there now the show is part of that facebook group we got likes from james ryan rich knapik jeff lemieux david jones chris trickett jim DeCrocco, tina evans gifford sean stewart michael j goins gary gooch greg lang david johnson michael harbour and nat couch now over on twitter Peter Watson said something. He said, uh, incredible photos. Thanks for sharing them because Rich, if you don't know, puts up a facebook folder of photos for each episode so we over on the photos section of our facebook page rich puts together albums for every episode puts a ton of photos up there i try to remember to uh reshare the album over on twitter but i'm a terrible person so you might want to just hit the facebook page and check it out because without without rich doing that you'd never see the things we're talking about this is actually
1: the album that he's that he's talking about is from the, uh, the road warriors episode so it's, yeah. it's the ins- it's the inside of the Glansman house. It's it's the photos of Sam's grave, of Joe's grave, of us of us uh, hanging with Sue and everything else. So it's this is the one we were we spend all that time advertising on, you know, pumping the show, pumping the show, pumping on the show. So that's a definite highlight of. Our broadcast of our podcasting career so far is that episode.
0: Yeah, ton of great photos from that trip. As the next commenter, Rob Tim, again, he just says, wonderful photos. Thank you for sharing them. And then our good buddy, Martin Gray, comes by and says, great pics. It's lovely to see such respect shown to our elders. And Glansman Gothic is just brilliant. First of all, I'll say thanks to Martin Gray for recognizing what respectful young men we are who are both like 50 years old, but still- <laughs> I'll take it and then Rich tell him what he means by Glansman Gothic.
1: And that is what uh, we are calling Sam's interpretation of American Gothic where he painted himself and his wife Sue as the characters of the you know the old farmer and his wife from you know American Gothic. Sam's got the pitchfork and and everything. You, mean, you see it, you know, you know where he got it from instantly and it's you know it's it's a hell of a thing just to see it sitting up on the wall at Sam's house because it is such a uh, a lighthearted painting.
0: Yeah, it's it was incredible to see in person. And it's just one of the many awesome photos over on our Facebook page that Rich puts up there with all of his effort and care and love for our dear listeners. <laughs> so so go check that out. I mean, if, if you look at nothing else on our on our Facebook page, the pictures from that trip are just super cool. So there we have it. Um, we're trying to make uh, some effort here to get everybody on that likes or shares or comments. So by all means, make me ramble on more at the end of these episodes. Make me give you a shout out. Give us Give us some what for. As we always say at the end of each episode, I'm Max, he's Rich, we are the Weird Warriors. And we shall promise to make war no more.